Amen. So Matthew chapter 25 is where we're at. And uh, we pick up the reading in verse 14. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Jesus uh, continues his teaching. And he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who has called his servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two, ta- uh, two gained two more also. But he who received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, 2,000 years and counting, roughly, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathered where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what's yours. But his Lord answered him and said, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him, give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast that unprofitable servant out into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Uh, If you're visiting, this is a rough passage. If you're not visiting, this is a rough passage too. But what we do at Calvary Chapel is we uh, study the, the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So this morning, this is where we're at. We're continuing through our study of the Gospel of Matthew. And not only are we continuing through the Gospel, but we continue our study in the Olivet Discourse. I just sometimes wonder, have you ever stopped to consider how large the Bible could have been? I mean, with everything that Jesus did and said, I mean, the Bible could be, you know, 10, 20, 30 times larger than it actually is. But what we have in our laps is the perfect revelation of God, which He desires to work into our hearts using it to conform us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer that we would have ears to hear this morning, and we would have hearts ready, hearts that are in complete surrender, ready to receive, ready to embrace this morning, whatever it is that the Lord desires to speak to us. And I, and I do believe, I firmly believe, strongly believe that God does have a word for us. 
and that it is his desire to speak to each one of us individually, but also corporately as a church. Well, Jesus spoke this parable to his disciples there on the Mount of Olives in response to their questions regarding what would be the signs of his coming and the end of the age. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus gives his disciples something that really amounts to, you know, a precious revelation of what uh, the moral, spiritual, and physical condition would be just prior to his return, prior to the end of the age. He spoke of the birth pangs, those signs that um, would increase in frequency and intensity immediately just prior to the rapture of the church. And he also spoke of the significant events that would occur during the seven-year period known as the tribulation, just prior to his second coming. So I think what's more important, though, than this preview of what's to come, right? Uh, This kind of heads-up that Jesus gives us uh, regarding the complete mess the world will be found in in the last days, which we've noted in the past many times. You know, we're clearly living in those days that Jesus spoke about, the last days prior to his coming. But I think what's more important than all of that is Jesus tells us as his followers, you know, what our response is to be to all of this. What our response is to be as we see these birth pangs coming upon the, uh, the world, the things that we see happening all around us. And Jesus answers in advance the question he knows that we want to ask him, right? And that question is, in light of all of these things you've shown us, Lord, you know, in light of the world around us breaking down and getting worse by the day, in light of all of that, what are we to do as Christians, right? And Jesus uh, answers that question with basically three words. And we've looked at two of the three words in the past. We're to watch and we're to wait. And this morning, we're going to talk about the third word, which is working. Jesus tells us in this all of that discourse that, um, you know, in response to what the end times is going to look like, we're to be watching for his return. We're to be eagerly waiting for his return. And we're to be working. We're to be uh, busy doing the things that he has given us to do. We're to be about building the kingdom of God while we're watching and waiting. And we learned last week that watching and waiting for Jesus' coming for his church It's really an attitude of the heart, right? It's not just passing time while we're waiting. It's an emotional, uh, spiritual, um, you know, it's being prepared for his return, being ready for his return, knowing that it could happen at any time, that it could happen even today. It's living our lives in such a way that our hearts and our minds, our thoughts and our actions are completely dominated by the reality that Jesus is coming for his bride and he's coming soon, right? Our hearts and minds are to be so dominated um, by that expectation of Jesus' return 
that nothing in the world would be able to unseat that thought, that thought that the Lord is returning soon, that he's even at the door uh, as we speak. That expectation is to bring to our lives a uh, perspective, right? The thought that Jesus is coming soon is to produce in us uh, uh, heavenly-mindedness. I don't know if that's a word, but it is today. Uh, It's to cause our thoughts and our affections to be focused completely on heaven and upon our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way as he wrote to the church in Colossae. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, he said it this way. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul also wrote to the church of Philippi, Philippians 3, 20 and 21, saying, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able to even subdue all things to himself. You know, sometimes when people hear these exhortations for us as Christians to be heavenly minded, you know, they'll say something like, and you've heard it, you know, you Christians are so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. And, and, you know, typically what they're saying when they make that comment is that in their observation of so-called Christians, right, they've never seen uh, those Christians' beliefs uh, actually manifest in any kind of physical or practical way. You know, when they say they believe, you know, when Christians say they believe, these people never seen it translate into any kind of doing for the kingdom or any kind of work for the kingdom. You know, in the view of that person who makes that comment, who says that Christians are no earthly good, well, you know, is that, that's the Christians, at least the ones that they've observed, they see them just kind of lounging around, you know, doing nothing. They're just passing time, waiting for Jesus to come again for them. The life of those Christians just doesn't seem to translate into making any kind of difference in this world or for the kingdom's sake, right? And that's the kind of Christian these people are talking about when they make a comment like that. But in this parable that Jesus gives us this morning, Jesus instructs us as Christians that our watching and waiting is to translate into working. And I want to look at eight things, eight very important things this morning that we're to take heart that are found in this parable. And again, my prayer is that we would pay close attention and give ourselves completely to what the Lord uh, wants to say to us through this parable this morning. So in verse 14, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So Jesus says in this parable, there's this man with a large estate, and he's going on a journey. And in verse 19, 
we, we're told that that journey is going to be for a long time. It's no surprise to you, I, I know this, it's no surprise to you that the master in this parable represents Jesus, okay? And the far country he journeys to is heaven, following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, after which he was seen by many uh, for a period of 40 days following his death. God bless you. Then Jesus ascended into heaven, returning to his homeland, which he left to come to this world. And the long time between the master's departure and return represents the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And in verse 15, we see the master gives talents to his servants, each according to his own ability, with the intention that they should do business until he returns. So the first thing we want to notice is that the expansion of the kingdom of God is not to come to a stop in this world between the time of Jesus' first and second coming, right? Jesus knows he's going on a long journey. He knows he's returning to heaven. He knows that it will be at least 2,000 years, roughly, between his first and his second coming. And his concern is that his work, the establishing of his kingdom uh, here on, in this world, that it would not come to a stop, that it would not, uh, you know, stop in its expansion in influence during his absence, nor does he want it to see it diminish in any way during the time that he's away. So it raises a question, at least in my mind, and that question is this. If the kingdom is to continue to expand, even in Jesus' physical absence, what's that supposed to look like? You know, how's that expansion supposed to continue while he's gone? And how are we to be involved in it? And I think the answer is really quite simple, right? Uh, we're to be witnesses. We're to share the gospel with people who are lost in this world, people who are not yet believers in Jesus Christ, people who are not yet saved, so that they can hear about the forgiveness that's freely offered uh, by God, the forgiveness of our sins, and the eternal life that's also offered to Him, so that they can respond to it, so that they can be saved. Then we're to disciple those new believers so that they can grow into mature Christians, Christians who are then able to go out into the world and be an influence for God themselves, wherever the Lord may take them, wherever the Lord may put them, right? Jesus has placed each one of us in some walk of life, in some group of friends, in some job, in some city, in some church, in order that we would, be, we would have some influence for the kingdom of God in this world an influence for godliness and righteousness. The second thing we want to uh, notice is that each of us as Christians have been uniquely gifted to be part of the expansion in some way, right? None of the servants of the master are left out in the parable. Again, verse 14, the master called his own servants and delivered his gifts to them. And to one, he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each, according to his own ability, and he immediately went on a journey. Jesus has entrusted to each of us 
something of himself, you know, some gift, some talent, some influence, so that we'd be about the continued expansion of his kingdom here on earth, right? In case you're not aware of it, I just want to let you know, in this parable, okay, when you see the word talent, you might be tempted to think of the English word referring to some kind of uh, natural ability. And I don't think that that's excluded here in this parable. But in this parable, the word talent is actually referring to a sum of money. Typically, it would be something like a brick or a solid piece or a chunk of gold or silver or some other uh, precious metal. And nobody knows for sure, but a talent was somewhere between, I don't know, 75 to 100 pounds, right? A talent of gold in these days represented something like 20 years worth of wages. So when the master gives these servants talents, right, even to the servant that the master only gives one talent to, he's giving each of these servants a considerable sum of money. Now, you might ask, well, this talent and this stewardship for them, you know, it represented a sum of money, you know, but what does it represent to us uh, as Christians today? Well, again, I think the answer is really quite simple. You know, it can be a position of leadership within the body of Christ that God has called a person to. It can be a call to be an evangelist, to be a pastor teacher, to be an elder or a deacon within the church. It can be a call to be a missionary. You know, these are the offices within the church of, of God uh, that he calls people to, to occupy. And they represent a talent. You know, it's a position of stewardship that God calls a person to in order that they might use that position, right, for the expansion of the kingdom of God in this world. Paul said it uh, this way, writing to the church of Ephesus, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he himself, speaking of the Lord, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This talent or stewardship can also represent a spiritual gift that God has given us, right? Every single one of us as Christians have been given a spiritual gift, something that, you know, God looks at our lives uh, and he sees what he wants to accomplish through our lives and he realizes what we need over and above the natural gifts that he has given us and natural talents that he's given us. And then he gives us a spiritual uh, gift to use in our lives for his kingdom. For uh, some of those gifts, actually, Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, saying, but the manifestation of manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Paul continues, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11, saying, for to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another workings of uh, working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, 
to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills, right? These gifts aren't just for us to go out and impress people with, right? These gifts are for the work of the ministry and for the expansion of the kingdom of God. And Paul continues 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, even helps and administrations, and then varieties of tongues. Paul in Romans 12 speaks of exhortation and giving and even mercy as a gift uh, that is given to people. All of us have been given some gift by the Holy Spirit, every one of us, in order that we might be influential in the sphere of life God has placed us in for the expression, or sorry, for the expansion of the kingdom of God in this world. The gift or talent that God has given us to steward can also include, you know, anything that God has spoken to us personally. You know, revealing to us where and how he wants to have us uh, commit ourselves to the furtherance and expansion of his kingdom. It can be a calling to be a mom, to raise godly children. And boy, I tell you what, what an important calling that is in the world today. Man, uh, one of the greatest callings in my mind is to be a mother. You know, but it can also be a calling that a Christian receives to be a school teacher in the public schools, right? God can use a Christian school teacher in a particular school, in a particular city, to, you know, uh, in the lives of uh, particular students, right? God can use that Christian school teacher for his glory, contributing to the kingdom, influencing others for Christ just as greatly as he can use any missionary in a far-off land. Each of our gifts has just as much potential for the kingdom, in God's eyes, as any other gift. God calls, God's call on your life could be something like handing out tracts while you're street witnessing, you know, if that's what God's put on your heart to do. It can be leading a life group, cleaning up, church after the service. It could be, you know, preparing meals for the sick or for different fellowship groups we have within the church. It could be leading worship. It could be committing to intercessory prayer. You know, I mean, the list could just go on and on and on. You could add to the list a number of ideas too. You know, the point is, each of us is to have an understanding that my life is to be engaged in the furtherance of the kingdom of God in some way. And God wants to speak to us about how we're to do that in the place that he's placed us in the world, right? Someone may ask, what has God called me to do? Well, you know, what's the calling of God on my life? What gift has God given me to exercise for his kingdom? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I can't answer that question for you. I know what God's called me to do, and that's what I'm to give myself to, 
That's what I'm to do with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything that's within me. Each of us, though, we need to seek the Lord to discover what it is that He would have us do for the kingdom. And if you haven't heard from the Lord what He has for you to do for the kingdom, how He wants you to serve Him, you know what? Just pray and ask Him. Ask Him to reveal His plan for you and how He would like you to engage in building the kingdom. You know? Uh, and then, in the meantime, serve someplace here in the church. Give yourself to filling some need within the church. I really believe that if we're, while we're waiting to hear from the Lord on what He would have us do in regards to how He would have us uh, be part of building the kingdom, if we'll give ourselves to just fulfill a need that's in the church, as we do that, I believe God will show you where your gifts lie. You know, I know for myself, I never heard the Lord say, you know, with that, uh, I don't know how you imagine God speaking. I imagine it with a booming voice. But I've never heard him say with that booming voice, Gary, I've called you to be a teacher of the word. You know, that's not the way it came about for me. You know, I started to serve in the church. I was asked to be an usher. And, you know, uh, I was doing whatever needed to be done. You know, helping my pastor and whatever he needed, praying for him, encouraging him, assisting him however I could. And, you know, as I was doing that, I, I saw another need. I saw a need for someone to make coffee in the church. And, you know, I just thought, why not me? If, if not me, who? Why not me? Well, you know, as I was doing that, I noticed people began asking me questions about the Bible. Then my pastor asked me to teach a Bible study one night a week. And as time passed, you know, as I gave myself to knowing more and more about the Bible, you know, I was asked to teach another Bible study. And before you know it, I was teaching five Bible studies a week. Then I was asked to teach at a Bible college in Hungary. And then, you know, I was asked to be part of a team of planning a church in Slovakia. And then another church. And then another one in Hungary. After some time, God placed it on my heart to plant a church in Germany. So we moved to Germany to do that. And then, you know, uh, coming back to the States, I was asked to oversee the teachers and the curriculum of the Bible colleges that we have in South Asia. And then I was called to come here to pastor this church, you know. And it all started out when I just sought to serve in some capacity, just sought to serve to meet a need within the church. If you don't know what a gift God has given you to glorify Him, or you don't know where you're to serve, then my encouragement to you is just seek to meet a need. And as you do, the Lord will move you forward into that area He has for you to glorify Him. My heart is to have people come into the church, to come into a welcoming, comfortable, inviting church. You know, where it looks like people care about the Lord and that they care about uh, them coming in too. You know, where they can sit down, relax, worship, and learn about Jesus. And you know what? It takes people to do that. It takes people to create that environment. I've always said, you know, it's, you've heard it. It's on my heart that we have 10 people in the church doing the work of one instead of one person doing the work of 10, right? 
And there's great blessings for those who get involved in the church, sharing that vision and serving the Lord from the heart. What we're talking about doesn't just happen within the confines of the church. Whether God, wherever God has placed you, you know, to be an influence for him, serve him with all your heart there. Right? And when the Lord comes for his church, he'll find you faithful, you know, to being faithful to him in the place where he's put you. Whether that's in the church or outside of the church, when you recognize that your calling, your ministry is wherever God has planted you, that's the ministry. That's the calling. That's the talent that he's given me. When you recognize that, you know, that's where you're to be influential for him, bringing your Christian faith into that environment. Whatever it may be, wherever God has placed you, you know, we're to live openly for Jesus Christ. We're to bring Jesus and his presence into that place, seeking to serve the Lord and magnify God in that place, being a witness for righteousness sake in that place in order that the kingdom of God would increase in that place. That's being a good steward of the talents that the master has entrusted to you. In verse 16, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. So number three, the next thing we want to notice is the multiplication of the five talents into the ten, right? This is very important to notice. How did the five talents become ten talents? It happened when this servant simply took the five talents that was given to him and traded with it, right? You know, uh, in the business world, and Jesus has kind of given us a business world example here, but in the business world, when you trade a talent, when you take money or capital and trade with it, it just means that you put that money into circulation, right? A businessman takes money, he takes capital, he puts it into circulation, into the business cycle of the world. And when he does that, he gets a return on his investment. You know, his money increases. So basically what Jesus is saying to us as Christians is we will multiply our influence in this world as we put our lives into circulation. Now, we can't forget the context of this parable. It's the end times, okay? And one of the great temptations as the world grows worse and worse, as the world, you know, around us just continues to decay and break down, even picking up speed as it goes deeper and deeper into depravity. The great temptation for Christians is to disengage from the world. I mean, there's a temptation towards isolationism, right? You know, we're only going to go to Christian mechanics. We're only going to buy from Christian stores. You know, we're only going to eat Christian food. We're only going to drink milk from Christian cows. You know, uh, as the world gets worse, and the world is going to get worse, but as the world gets worse, the Lord would say to us, that's no excuse to isolate and withdraw. We can't be surprised or get upset when sinners sin. 
We need to stay engaged in the world. We need to stay in the mix in the world, right? We can't withdraw from the fight uh, while we're waiting for the Lord's return. If we do, then you know what? We're no use to God or to anyone else in this world. And it may look like God is not doing anything in your life in that place where he's planted you. But as you live for Jesus, he will make it multiply. He will bring an increase. He will make our lives an influence for the kingdom. Now, this servant who took the five talents and put it in the circulation, there's no mention at all of him working hard to make it grow. There's no mention at all of striving or any hard labor involved. Um, you know, there's, there's no mention of sleepless nights or any worry mentioned anywhere in this parable, right? It simply says that he puts it into circulation. He stayed engaged, right? And the lesson is so important. Keep your life. Keep your giftings. Keep your calling in circulation, and God will bring an increase. You know, I'd like to take a, a, a moment here and speak now to some of us that are a little older in the crowd. You younger guys and girls can just kind of like tune out for a minute. But I like to talk to the older guys. You know what? I'd like to remind you that retirement is a concept of the world. Christians don't get to retire, right? Retirement needs to be a foreign concept to us. We don't get to retire, spiritually speaking, in terms of the influence we're to have in this world. Right? We need to stay engaged, even in our old age, in the way that God has called us to be engaged. You know what? It's okay that I don't have the same energy that I once had. You know, maybe health-wise, we're not in the same boat that we once were in. You know, maybe we're not even as sharp mentally as we once were, you know, able to recall Scripture a whole heck of a lot faster than what we can now. You know what? Uh, all that may be true, but that doesn't mean you get to recline in your lazy boy, binge-watch TV shows, spend all your days on the golf course, uh, effectively putting your lives on the shelves. We need to stay engaged throughout our pilgrimage here on earth, all the way up until the time that the Lord calls us home. You know, I want to die telling people about Jesus Christ. I really do. You know, can you imagine the effect that that would have on a person <laughs> that you're witnessing to? You know, you tell them, you're not guaranteed a tomorrow. In fact, you're not guaranteed another minute. And then you grab your heart and you step off into eternity. And I think that would have quite an effect on a person you're witnessing to. Maybe, maybe that wouldn't be a good thing. I don't know, but... <laughs> I find it funny. <laughs> hey, the fourth thing that we want to notice is that each servant received a different number of talents. It says in verse 15, and, one, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to their own ability. Because they each received a different number of talents, you know, what the master expected from each one of them was different too. Right? The master doesn't expect the five, uh, to receive five talents from the servant that he gave just one talent to. Right? And this teaches us something very important as we serve the Lord. 
Because the Lord gives us different abilities and resources, right? Because the Lord calls us in various and varying kinds of, of service to Him, right? It's important that we don't compare ourselves, right, with other people. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 10, 12, saying, for we dare not compare ourselves uh, or class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. He's talking about Christians comparing themselves with other Christians, thinking, hey, look at me. You know what? I'm being faithful to God's call on my life because, you know, I got more fruit happening than this other guy, right? But the opposite is also true. We can't say, hey, look at me. You know, and I'm not doing what that other guy's doing. Maybe I'm not faithfully serving the Lord. You know, if I was, I'd have more fruit, you know, a lot like this other guy. We're not to do that. And the reason that we're not to compare ourselves with others like that is because in terms of calling, you know, abilities, giftings, and ministries within the church, all things are not equal, right? Some people are given opportunities and influences that are far greater, right, than what the average Christian is given. And God gives them the grace to fulfill that call. If I'm a one-talent guy and I'm comparing my ministry to the five-talent guy, the result is that I'll constantly be condemning myself, you know, because, you know, you're not doing enough, G. You're not working hard enough. You're not trying hard enough. You know, if you were, there'd be more fruit. And all of that leads to burnout. Right? Because we'll always be striving to do what the five-talent guy is doing. You know, I have pastors, or I have friends that pastor uh, larger churches than I do. I have friends that pastor smaller churches than I do. You know, what I need to concern myself with is not what they're doing, you know, uh, or not what I'm doing better than, than them or what they're doing better than me. I need to concern myself with being faithful in my calling and let God do whatever he wants to do as I seek to make the most of what he's given me, right? As a one-talent guy, if I compare myself with the five-talent guy, you know, discouragement will set in and I'll be tempted to actually bury my talent. And then, you know what? I'll be thinking, you know, what, why am I even trying? You know, I, I'm never going to be as effective as that guy. And then what happens? You know what? I failed to accomplish that which the Lord has called me to do. Remember after Peter denied Jesus three times after the resurrection, Peter and a few of the boys, they went fishing, you know, and they saw the Lord while they were in the boat there fishing and Peter dives into the water, you know, so he could just get to Jesus. Peter knew, man, if I can just get to Jesus, Everything's going to be okay. And remember, that's when Peter, uh, that's when Jesus restored Peter, right? And, and even told him the way he would die in order to glorify the Lord. And remember Peter, as Jesus is talking to him, Peter sees John, who's probably his best friend. And, he, and Peter says to Jesus, but Lord, what about that guy? And Jesus said to Peter, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me, right? Get your eyes off the other guys. 
Don't concern yourself with what I have for them. You have your marching orders. And you need to be faithful to what I've given you to do. And leave the rest to me. That's basically what Jesus said to Peter. And that's what he would say to us too. Verse 16, Then he who had received five talents, uh, received the five talents, went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two, gained two more also. But he who received one went and dug in the ground and hid his, hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Number five on our list, the next thing we want to notice that this parable teaches us is that everyone, uh, is that not everyone is equally gifted uh, in terms of ability, resources, and calling, and spiritual gifts. But if we're faithful to our call, right, uh, and give to our call everything that we are, everything that's within us, then we'll be as greatly rewarded as the one who is given much more in terms of spiritual gifts, calling, and uh, influence. The truth is a person who's called to teach you know, a small discipleship group one night a week because uh, that's what God's called him to do, that guy's eternal reward will be just as great as Billy Graham's eternal reward. Billy Graham's known throughout the whole world. He's probably led millions of people to the Lord. But if we're equally faithful to our calling as Billy Graham was to his, then the reward will be the same. Number six, we also want to notice in verse 19, each of the servants were called to give an account in regards to how they handled the resources the master gave them. One day, each of us will have to give an account regarding our faithfulness to what the Lord has called us to do and uh, will be rewarded for that faithfulness. The Bible says that each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be judged for our sins. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ, our sins were judged there at the cross. We're never going to have to face judgment for our sins, but we'll face a judgment for our faithfulness to what God has called us to. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5.10. And that judgment is depicted here as these servants uh, are called to give an account. So what happens in this scene? The faithful servants get to hear their master's praise. You know what? They realize that their life was a blessing to their master. And thirdly, they receive promotion from the master. Our reward for being a faithful servant to the Lord is one day we'll hear Jesus himself say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. 
I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Nothing in this world could ever compare with that. But wait, there's more. We'll also have the knowledge that our lives were a blessing to the Lord. Boy, you know what? If that wasn't enough, there's even more. Then we'll receive promotion from the Lord. Entering into the joy of uh, a joy and eternal reward given to those servants for their faithfulness to the Lord. You know, I've heard people say, you know, it doesn't, you know, I don't really care that much about rewards just as long as I make it to heaven. That's what's really important, right? Well, all I have to say to those people is this. Uh, you may not care about uh, rewards now, but when the Lord is handing out rewards, when he's calling everybody's name and you're standing over there in the corner, you know, you're going to care about it then. And you're going to wish you'd paid more attention to faithfully fulfilling your call that God has placed on your life. Verse 24. Then he who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what's yours. But his Lord answered him and said, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast that unprofitable servant out uh, into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Number seven, we want to notice that those who were unfaithful in fulfilling the call of God on their lives will be judged for it. The servant that was given one talent is not condemned for that. Right? He's not condemned for the fact that he couldn't handle more than one talent. The master cheerfully gave to each one according to his own ability, it says in verse 15. But what he did with the one talent he received was nothing. He did nothing with the call, the abilities, and the resources that were entrusted to him by the master. And when he stood before his master, he tried to blame his master for his unfaithfulness. He offered all kinds of excuses why he uh, wasn't faithfully exercising those things uh, given to him by the master. But the master says in verse 26 and 7, what he says is actually a rebuke. He rebukes him. He basically says to the unfaithful servant, there's no legitimate excuse for being unfaithful with what I've given you. And you know what? That's very sobering. I mean, it's very strong. And it's very important to see, to understand, and to take to heart. Then we see the master's assessment of this unfaithful servant. In verse 26, the master called him wicked and lazy servant, right? Doing nothing with what the Lord has given us is not only viewed by him as being lazy, it's viewed by him as being wicked. You know what? I can't think of anything I want to hear less from my master than you wicked and lazy servant. 
boy, you know, but you know, the reality is there are going to be some that hear that. And what this unfaithful servant had was taken away from him and given to a faithful servant who saw value in being faithful in this world. Number eight, and finally, we want to note the end state of this unfaithful servant. Verse 30, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some people look and say the fact that he lived a serviceless life as a Christian, you know, it's an indication that he was never really born again. He was just a poser. He just wanted to look like a Christian, you know, when he wasn't. So uh, he's ultimately cast into eternal judgment. Well, that may be true. But notice in the parable, he's called a servant just like the other two. He's given a stewardship by the master just like the other two. And we need to be very clear here, okay? Uh, listen, our salvation is not obtained or secured by our service or any good work we may do. You know what? Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone, right? And in light of that, some people then look at this parable and say, even though he was unfaithful and failed to use his talent, on behalf of his master, he's still saved, right? And going to heaven, nonetheless. Okay, well, which is it? Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. You know, and the wonderful thing is, I don't need to know. All I need to know is I don't want to have any part of a scene like this one, right? I don't want to personally find out one way or the other which it is, right? All we need to know is that if we're faithful, we don't need to ever worry about anything like this scene, right? I think the important thing to notice is that Jesus doesn't know anything about a do-nothing Christianity, right? And we're, we know that for sure because that's what he's saying in this parable. We can't find ourselves trusting in a do-nothing Christianity, right? So Jesus tells us here, the danger for us as Christians is that there's a danger in doing nothing in terms of utilizing our gifts, our abilities, our resources and talents for the expansion of his kingdom, right? Now, you look at this and you think, well, some of this is pretty self-explanatory. So why does Jesus keep repeating over and over and over again that we're to be watching, we're to be waiting, we're to be waiting and working, we're to be working while waiting and watching for his return? And the answer is, how many Christians do you know who are actively watching and waiting for the Lord's return? That their hearts and their minds are dominated by the reality that the Lord is coming soon. And in addition to that, that they're actively working in God's kingdom as they wait for his return. I would argue that this message is very, very important for all of us to hear because it's not as universally obeyed as you might think. Is the kingdom of God and its influence being expanded 
through your life in Christianity today? If the answer is yes, then you know what? Hey, this parable is a great encouragement to you today as it is intended to be. But if the answer is no, then this parable is intended to be an exhortation to you. It's intended to be a wake-up call for you. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know. But Jesus didn't go around giving sermons just to go around and give sermons. There are points to what he was teaching. He gave a sermon because he gave this sermon because he wants to find each of us watching for his return, eagerly waiting for his return, and actively working, working for the expansion of his kingdom while we're watching and waiting. You know, the Bible teaches as the rapture of the church and Jesus' second coming uh, draws near, the world is going to fragment and destabilize even more. The world is coming to a place where there's going to be no human solution. There'll be no way out of the problems that have been created by sinful man in this world. You know, the, the world is heading that way. And in the face of all of that, the great temptation for us as Christians is to be overwhelmed by it and to be paralyzed by it and to think that the problems are so great, there's nothing that I can do. But we're not to concern ourselves with those things, right? We're to leave those things up to God. Let God handle that. Our responsibility is take the little thing that God has given us to do and that little place he's placed us in and just be faithful there, faithful to him and to our call, to allow him to use our lives to work his will through us in these last days. You know, the bigger picture is up to God to deal with, right? The parable here is to remind us and to instruct us that each of us are to do, right? We're to be faithful, you know? God will do what he needs to do to unfold his plan in this world, but he wants to do it through each one of us, and we need to be faithful to that. When Jesus comes for his church, he wants to find us watching and waiting and working. That's not just uh, good for the world. That's good for each one of us. And it's very necessary for each one of us too. You know, as Christians, Paul said in Ephesians 2, that you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. He also says in Titus, Titus 2, he says that we are to be zealous for good works. The question is, are we endeavoring to walk in those good works? Endeavoring to be faithful with what God has given us to do. Let's pray. Worship team, come forward. Lord, I do just thank you for this exhortation. Lord, I thank you for uh, this word of encouragement. Lord, I thank you for this parable and, and what you want to say to each one of us in, Lord. Help us get in the fight. Help us be in the mix. Help us look to you to serve you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We commit these things to you, Lord, and ask you to work them in our hearts. We ask it in your name, Jesus.